0: Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. My guest today is Mo Ison. I recorded my conversation with Mo this past spring and have been waiting for God's timing to share it with you. Mo is a New York Times bestselling author of the books Wreck My Life and Sex, Jesus, and the Conversation the Church Forgot. You'll want to be sure to add both of her books to your summer reading list. In her younger years, Mo was an All-American goalkeeper for the LSU women's soccer team and the first female to train with and try out for the SEC men's football team. Her life was riddled with great personal tragedy, including battling an eating disorder, overcoming the suicide of her father, struggling with promiscuity, and surviving a horrific car accident. But in today's episode, Mo shares her story that by the grace of God she encountered the love and mercy of Jesus, who makes all things new. Today, Mo is a Holy Spirit-filled daughter of God who isn't afraid to speak bold, raw, courageous truth to a generation being crushed under the weight of their sin, their circumstances, and the lies of the enemy. Listen to Mo's story and be encouraged and inspired. I first heard your story, well, part of your story, when I was listening to a podcast like a year ago, um, and you were talking about your book, Sex, Jesus, and the conversation that the church forgot Yes, um, and so that really sparked my interest because I have a sixteen year old girl and um so heard that podcast and bought that book and gave it to her to read and had some really good conversation. But I know during that um podcast you also talked about another book you had, Wreck My Life. So since then yes. I've read yeah, so since then I've read that book and that really goes into all of your story. And I was just when I read it, I'm like, I know I need to have her on the show. So thank you for coming and sharing today your story.
1: Of course, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you for for digging into those reads after just hearing a little bit on a podcast that um that is is awesome and that the first sort of led you uh to the second and you pressed into both. That's encouraging. I'm excited. Yes. You never get to see as an author, you know, I mean, you write the book and you put it out there, but uh, it's special to hear of the fruit that came from it and conversations with your daughter. That's what it's all about. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of, I mean, that's why I have the passion for this podcast, just sharing women's stories that point back to God, because he all, he gets us, he gets us to him in such different ways. Um, And your story, you are so honest just of how he really, he wrecked your life to bring you um, to fullness in him. So we'll get into that story. Can you just share a little bit, um, just kind of a quick bio about yourself before we dig into your story? Sure. Um, I guess my current state would be the best to share. Okay. I, uh,
1: I'm living in Atlanta. Uh, it's it's where we're based out of and do ministry out of. I, um, my husband Jeremiah and I have been married about four and a half years, and we've got a little three year old and a one year old and a third on the way to show mm. for it. So, goodness <laughs> and, gracious. Yeah, hands full for sure, but heart's full as well. Um, two daughters with a little son on the way. So. We are just um, hunkered down here in Atlanta and then um, we get the privilege of, of being in ministry together as a family and traveling the country and, and even internationally, some um, speaking and sharing the gospel and teaching the word and um, then write books as well and create online curriculum as well. So it's it's an adventure. It's It's been an adventure from the start and we're just you know, open handed with our yeses to God and, and just kind of discerning as we go where he would have us and and what content, um, he really presses us into in in different seasons. So it's fun. It's wild and crazy and fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you are just a phenomenal speaker. I was watching actually some of your videos on just YouTube and that, and you really are just such a passionate speaker. Um, and just such a, your testimony just continues to point back to Jesus. So I being in ministry, that was not your plan though, for your life. I mean, it's cool to hear you say, Oh, what a fun (laughs) life that is, but it's like, that was not at all your plan.
1: No, not in the slightest. And actually lately when I've been speaking, I've, you know, introduced by saying I'm not missed by the wonder of uh, the hard wonder. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's challenging everything we're doing now, but it doesn't I'm not missed by the wonder of where I'm standing now when Mm -hmm. I especially look back on what life held and the circumstances of my life growing up and the pain and the adversity and the fact that I never in a billion years would have told you what I'm doing now would be what I do, you know? And so, uh, it's really special to sort of see the hand of God over all of it. Um, because my goodness, I was, um, yeah, a very, very different young woman, um, growing up for, for quite a while before I, really came to know Jesus and life just changed completely.
0: Yeah. And that's why I think you have such a strong message, especially like to teenagers. I mean, I'm rereading through your wreck my life book again today. I'm like, Oh, my daughter needs to read this one too. Cause it's like, you think you just don't see the whole picture that God has planned for you. And you think your life right now, you have it figured out. And I was, I'm going to read some of your words at the intro of your book. And then I'm going to kind of let you take it from there into a little bit more of your story. Um, but this just, I, you have a very, very good intro it just is a lot of um, just profound thoughts so you say somewhere along the way I bought into the lie that a blessed life was a life lived with as little hardships as possible that I was entitled to comfort and ease and happiness and then you skip ahead to say I moved through my days under the impression that I was the author of my story and that the trajectory of my life solely depended on my control my success and my personal strength so Take it from there, um, kind of into your childhood, and the book goes into obviously a lot more detail, but um, kind of give us a brief overview that will make, you know, people will want to get your book and read the details about um, your life. So if you want to just start kind of with your childhood, I guess
1: yeah absolutely. Well, I think uh you can probably read between the lines even just in the intro that I'm a little type A <laughs> I'm a little um uh, controlling I was competitive. I grew up um just like a fireball of of energy and competitive drive, and that was amazing for athletics. I was a soccer player and um you know excelled in that regard. Uh, but that competitive nature within me just became, um, very performance based. It kind of bled into all areas of my life. You know, it, it, um, I was, an athlete and so it was like you know you you excel there and you're praised you you fail there and you know you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders and that's kind of just how i carried myself in all regards um through my young life i really wanted to make my parents proud i really wanted to um do everything well and with excellence and that can be wonderful and healthy if cultivated in a great way but it can it can just dismantle you if it becomes your driving force. And if that perfectionism really is sort of, um, the overwhelming theme, I guess, on your mind and your heart. And it, and it certainly was for me. Um, I was a performer and I didn't know Jesus, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I, had wonderful parents who worked really hard to instill in me what it what it meant to be a godly woman but my faith was just shallow if not non-existent you know it was like a, right. a faith by inheritance it was my parents are christian so i'm a christian and you know i'm in church on sunday because they dragged me to church on sunday and i could have told you a lot about god and uh even then I was a wordsmith. I could have said the right things. You know, I I could have probably uh, explained the faith well, but when it came to truly knowing God and truly living in the understanding of whose I was, what that meant for my life, um, that was just not existent for me. And so...
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't think it can be as a child. I mean, I think, and that is kind of the theme of your book. Like you had to go through all of this so that you really could know who God Jesus was. Yeah. I think he certainly
1: uses all for his glory. I mean, I, I think at least, especially speaking from my own experience, I was stubborn and Mm -hmm. I was bullheaded and you know, it's, there's these great lyrics to a song that's like, um, can you ever seem to learn from what you've been told? Or do you really have to hold the experience? Because if you heed me now, you could come out clean. Trust Mm -hmm. me, I can spare you the consequence. And it's like some personality types, especially mine, and I think many of us in sort of our bent-hearted, like proclivity towards sin, we just, no matter how well someone teaches or packages or, you know, explains, Um, that stubborn nature can really just lead us into a lot of sin and a lot of heartache until we kind of learn the hard way. And, you know, God will, will, let us. It's free will. He will allow us to choose, but he's just faithful to use even our poorest choices and even our greatest struggles, um, to draw us back to him.
0: Yeah. That's what me and my husband joke about something very similar. We've had, we've been married 20 years and it's been 20 years of a lots of ups and downs. And he always says, yeah, God says you can do this the hard way or the harder way. And we're, we've been (laughs) stubborn and seemingly always have to learn things the harder way. So, um, yeah, God certainly, um, knows how he's going to have to get your attention with that so going back to you talked about soccer um, and your perfectionism and your drive and one thing you talk about in the book how your earthly father tied into that um, and your relationship with him and wanting to please him so talk about a little bit about that and how your performance and perfectionism tied into him
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just, I loved my parents um, so much and longed so deeply to make them proud. It seemed like sports was that real layer of connection I had with my dad in particular. And so um, he was, you know, that dad that like lived vicariously through their child's sports, which was wonderful. (laughs) He had been an athlete as well, but, you know, also just puts a lot of pressure on a young person and um, his... (laughs) that was about to come out harsh. I was about to say his love was fickle, but his love was fickle. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was because of that, you know, he was wanted the best for me. And, and I think there's a lot of beauty in a parent pushing their child hard. You know, you got to push through the blood and the sweat and the tears sometimes, but ultimately my identity then hinged on, you know, my ability to make my parents proud. And he was, you know, the type that if I played well and won a game, it was like, I was daddy's best girl up in the driver's seat or the, you know, the front seat. And it was ice cream after the match. And if I played poorly or, you know, allowed soft goals or were lost, it was the silent treatment for kind of days on end. And, and that was where his love became fickle. I think he had a lot going on in his own heart as well. And a lot of Um, identity struggles that he wrestled through as well. And one of the biggest issues, you know, looking back is he had a real difficulty in um, communication and, and placing, I guess, um, anger where it was rightfully due or frustration or forgiveness, or it was just sort of a shutdown mode if things weren't great. And so for me, that, I loved my father so deeply. I desired so deeply to make him proud. And yet it always felt like such a roller coaster ride in keeping him appeased, I guess. And so that idea of love was really what kind of painted my understanding of God's love. Like I do things well, I do things right. God loves me and he's proud of me. I, I sin or I, you know, do things poorly or I fail and God has no time for me and God turns his back to me. And, um, it just painted a really unhealthy, um, understanding of, faith in my eyes, but it was my only frame of reference.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, we, we all do that and it's your situation. Um, I don't know, probably was more uh, just reading it is very challenging because like you said, your dad had a lot of his own inner turmoil, turmoil going on that you didn't really even know about. Um, and so through a child's mind, that's all, you know, though, and that's what you're trying to please and perfect. Um, cause you even say in the book, like he was your best friend, or at least you wanted him to be your best friend. Um, um, so the other thing I know that you share about um, in more te- detail in the book with your father is when you first realized just how broken he was, and you saw um, you would see him reading the Bible, but then you would also see him watching porn. Yeah. And so, share how that really kind of just built up an inner the struggle with you in your own life.
1: Yeah, it really just added kind of to the to the confusion of what a child is is. You know, framing their reference around, and a lack of consistency in what I saw just really added to the confusion in the model that was kind of being painted for me. So, like you said, you know, I'd see my dad in the word and and then I'd see him, you know, I'd come down for a drink in the middle of the night and see him on the couch watching porn with my mom, you know, in the bed alone, and I'd see him. Be at every soccer game, at every trip. You know, my biggest fan, and yet I'd see him completely withdraw from conversation with my mom, or from you know that silent treatment I told you about with me when it came to handling stuff that wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. And so it was like that that inconsistency was confusing, and. Really, as you know, the years kind of passed. I saw more and more of that really have a grip on his heart and on his spirit. And just you know, looking back, hindsight certainly twenty twenty, but just kind of saw really a decline in my father, um, and it it hung heavy on my heart. Um, And you know, it was goodness manifested for me in a lot of control issues, wanting to control things that really were out of my control, wanting consistency when I didn't always see a lot of consistency around me. And, um, for me that manifested personally into an eating disorder in my high school years that was just vicious. It was just very control oriented, um, for myself. It was my thing. It was my you know secret it was my way to control something when you know looking around other things in life just seemed inconsistent and out of control you know athletically i was a high achieving but things don't always fall your way you know academically i was a good student but not always great you know i mean it was like right. when we just ride that roller coaster when we don't have a steady you know steadfast unchanging truth that we know then we desperately want control. We want to control something that's kind of in our nature.
0: And the eating disorder thread is so interesting. I mean, I've shared in many of the podcasts that I've also dealt with one. And it's like, I bet you 80% of the women I talk to have, I mean, you think their stories are different, but that's been woven in there too. And it is that control thing. Like we're just, we want to control so badly and we can't. And that's um, one of, I think the, I don't know. The easiest, safest things as a high schooler to kind of grab onto. Um, but yeah, you share. I mean, you really were in the depths from anorexia to bulimia. I mean, it really took over your life in your high school years, correct?
1: Well, it did. Yeah. And you know, I think ultimately it's so much deeper of a spiritual issue than mm-hmm. we we even understand and we give it much credit to. What what greater victory does the enemy have than 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 a, causing us to dismantle our own temple. I yeah. mean, when we at our hands are the ones that see no value in what we look at in the mirror, that you know, speak against ourselves that try so hard to control and ultimately harm our own health. I mean, it's just, it's doing, it's doing the enemy's work for him. It's it's something that can become so gripping over us, this longing for control. And I think, you know, this could preach a whole nother sermon, but I, I, it's the exact reason why in the garden, God's greatest call to woman is that ultimately she will need to submit. Because our greatest struggle is that ultimately we will want to control mm. and it, it'll be our downfall and, it, and we'll dismantle ourselves in the process. And, you know, God invites women to, to learn, to submit and especially to submit and come under God. And it's a beautiful place of rest, but it's hard to get there. <laughs> it's like, yeah.
0: It's hard. It's, it's so hard. Um, and I think, like you said, it started in the garden and I think on this side of heaven, it will be a ongoing struggle that the the devil will try to continue to tempt us to want that control. Um, but then you share kind of towards the end of high school, how you really found healing from that. Um, which is just, it's a really awesome little part to your story. How not a little part, a big part to your story, how you found that healing, um, and, Surrendered that and told your mom. So share a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I think it's the beauty of, of God's
1: pursuit of us ultimately. Cause you know, at the end of high school, I was transitioning. I was headed to play soccer at LSU. Um, go Tigers. If anybody's listening and purple <laughs> and gold, love purple, lift gold. Okay. So I was <laughs> set to, um, head off to Louisiana state to, to play soccer, um, in college on scholarship. And, I guess at that time I really saw, I was so worn out. I was so worn thin. It was all kept in the darkness. I was like, it just wasn't sustainable. And I was really at the end of my line in a lot of ways. And, um, I saw this opportunity of transition, you know, and this, this hope of, of going off, to school seemed like kind of a fresh start. And I was so worn out and somehow I couldn't have told you who showed it to me, the book, the chapter, the context, This is God's pursuit of us is somehow I came across the words that simply said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Mm. And it was, it was one of those moments of just like, you look back and you're like, God, you were you, you love us so much and you, you pursue us even when we're clueless, you know? And it's like, I somehow came across those words and they just resonated in my spirit. And it gave me a little breath of courage to say, you know what, if there's a new chapter coming up, I can't keep doing this. I'm extremely weary. I'm extremely burdened. And it didn't say, you know, come to me if you're perfect and you have it all figured out. And you know, life's great. It said, come to me if you're worn down, if you're weary, if you're burdened. So I, I kind of opened up to God, not sure what that conversation's even supposed to look like, but in my little haphazard prayers, I I tried to kind of open my heart to reach out for help. And and he just immediately filled me with this, with a courage and a hope and a a vulnerability. And I, I remember literally in the midst of that, my mom walked up to like put laundry away in my room, I think, you know, to, to give me my stuff to put up in the closet, and it just came out like word vomit. I just, I just poured out everything. It was just really this, I mean, kind of divine moment. And I opened up to her about everything that I had been doing, and you know, walking through, and how much help I needed, and
0: which is huge good. because that is something you want to keep from a, for a secret. I mean, that is a huge step I, that God enabled you to do that.
1: Exactly, it had been my thing for so long, and and. Uh, yeah it was it was just holy i guess the, the, that encounter and that you know vulnerability was probably that small window of time that my heart would have even been willing but it was just orchestrated you know kindly by god and so she she worked really hard she got me in with a nutritionist and with counselors and ultimately she was just full of grace which mm-hmm. was so helpful because the look on her face read otherwise i'm sure she was heartbroken and totally caught off guard and you know grieving for her child but she received me with the compassion i believe that jesus receives us with when we come to him with our with our mess and she she got me with a nutritionist and a counselor but ultimately she instilled in me that the only true healing in my life was going to come from my pursuit of the healer mm. and i was about to go off alone eight hours away to college you know what was that going to look like for the faith to no longer be on this leash of my parents but to really become my own, who was God to me, you know, and who did, who was I? And so it was, she's kind of type A and kind of a, like a driven woman as well. So it was, it was grace and compassion, but not so much coddling as much as it was challenging of, okay, you know, life. the world's going to keep spinning and life's still happening. And and
0: this needs to be something that you really press into, um, if you want true healing. Yeah, that's such a powerful example. I mean, just sitting here thinking of my own daughter, like what a powerful example of how us as parents are supposed to, you know, just lovingly and full of grace when our kids tell us things um, right. and not with like shock and disgrace, all of that, um, because they're going to fall and right. um, we can help lead them toward toward Christ or away when they do and when they tell us. Um, and looking back as
1: a mom now, I, I think – you know, ultimately it was, it's hard. I mean, Mm -hmm. Heidi's a tough cookie. And so she was, I I think what her ultimate heart was in communicating to me of like, I had to find the healer. It it was understanding that I was about to go and be far away and she couldn't coddle me and she couldn't protect me and she wasn't going to be there. You know, I was going to be off at school and I think like my instinct with my children is to bring them under my wing and just let mommy handle it. I just want to protect. But I think what she ultimately knew and what it really deeply instilled in me in the long run, was, it has to be the child's encounter with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It has to be that personal Pursuit of and and pressing on by the Holy Spirit, because our kids aren't always going to be under our care. And when push comes to shove, in the moment of temptation or in a moment of pressure, in a moment of you know self doubt, they need to know that still small voice of God for themselves. And that's how they're going to make the decisions that are ultimately you know going to be ruled around conviction and understanding and truth versus emotions or pain or, you know, fill in the blank. And so I'm, she was a tough cookie, but I'm glad she was. And I'm, I'm kind of trying to model my parenting similarly because we, we, we're not always going to be there, but, but we still want obviously God to be molding and tending to our children's hearts and them open-handed to that.
0: Right. And they need to form their own relationship with the Lord, right. not the one that you push, push on them or just tell them. Um, and it sounds like she did an amazing job pushing you towards him. So you went to college with the heart more open to the Lord. Um, and did you just actively start pursuing Jesus then? Did he become a big part of your life? Talk a little bit about that because you went to college for soccer, sis, so, and you were an incredible soccer player. So was that still taking over your life or was Jesus starting to take over? Yeah, you know, it started, it, it's so
1: simple. Uh, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and intimidated by the walk of faith with Jesus. Like suddenly, it's what the enemy will kind of lie to us about it. I mean, we'll get these thoughts in our mind that we really can't be bold or outspoken about this until we, you know, understand it all and know the chronology and could stand and share the gospel. And, you know, someone could give their heart to the Lord. Like we feel like suddenly we came unqualified, but if we're going to be boldly outspoken about our faith, we need to like make sure we're qualified. And I just, I wrestled with that for a little bit, but I knew that comfort and that wisdom and that truth he had brought me. And so I realized fairly early on in school You know, I'm, I don't have to, I can boldly proclaim that I know and love Jesus while I'm in process, because what I'm boldly proclaiming is that I don't have it all figured out, but he is the one that holds all things together, you know, and, and I can, I can be bold in walking this out, even as I'm finding my stride. And so I started the first thing God kind of invited me to was so simple, but he was like, your sin turns you in. I want you to turn out and look up, mm-hmm. look up at who I am. Give me the glory and all things and everything. And just see how the rhythm of that kind of shifts your perspective. It was, it's ultimately the call of death to self, Yes. But, you know, yes. glory of of him, but it was this really sweet, simple invitation of like in sports, in schooling, in your interactions, just start to actually look for me and give me the glory and stop trying to, you know, hoard it for yourself. And, um, so I, I, I really just tried to kind of walk in that, that freshman year. And it ended up being this amazing freshman year athletically and really became fun to get to give God the glory in it and not feel the weight of my own performance, but understand I was competing for an audience of one, you
0: know, it was. It so was, was that hard? Was that a str- Cause like you said, you had an amazing, a hugely successful soccer season. I mean, you had, you set records, you're on sports Illustrated. I mean, all of this. So was that a hard balance for you? Or did you feel torn back and forth or did you just, were you pretty much surrendered to the Lord at that point and giving him the glory?
1: Um, I think my knee jerk was certainly still towards my flesh. Like it was still towards my pride. It was still towards my, you know, accolades, but it was again, the patience of God to remind me kind of weaving in and out of wait, fix your eyes, fix your eyes. You know, it certainly wasn't right off the gate sold out. It was, um, it was a process, but it ended up you know it was a beautiful process but where i kind of ended up at the end of that freshman year was really still a misunderstanding about the totality of the faith walk and it was just simple oh i give god the glory and he rains down the blessings
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> This is great! right because
1: i had you know been doing that and growing in that and it had just truly been an unbelievable year and so it was like oh this this is the Christian walk. It is, you know, I, I give God that, that vocal glory and I point to him and, you know, I, I pray for, for X, Y, and Z and then the blessings just kind of rain down. And
0: so you are um, still equating with, okay, I'm doing it right. So I am God's blessing me. Gotcha. Okay.
1: It was still kind of a performance based faith in many ways, but all of that really kind of uh, hit the fan when I went home after my freshman year when I went home for Christmas break, I was, I was on a high, a high, I was on that mountaintop. Many of us know it in the faith. And it's like that untouchable, invincible me and God against the world. I mean, you know, you couldn't have, you couldn't have told me otherwise. And, um, then life kind of happened and, and the boat capsized.
0: So, yes. So that. That really is the next part of your story, big part of it, um, where you say that in Christmas Christmas break 2009 and about losing yourself and everything changed. Right. So take us to that part of your story.
1: Yeah, I, I went home for Christmas break after freshman year. And like I said, was just on cloud nine and didn't, I think I was just too self absorbed just still excited about all that the year had held to really notice there was a kind of a change in the uh, energy really in my home there was a tension during that Christmas break but didn't think a ton of it and um, then one night my dad didn't come home
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, which was strange because he was just a family man through and through I mean never home later than five thirty, especially if we were home from college my goodness I mean he was I was a daddy's girl and he was all about his, his daughters. And, um, I can't, you know, one night he didn't come home and my sister and I don't really know what's going on. And we're, we're calling his cell phone and it's straight to voicemail. And the hours are kind of passing and our angst is kind of rising. And, um, my mom finally called us down into the formal living room. And, um, I think that was when it started to kind of sink in like, Oh, something's something's going on. Cause she just looked like a marionette. She was as pale as a ghost. Mm. She was like it holding, it took everything out of her to hold herself together. And she just said that we needed to find my dad. And she explained there were some financial issues and she didn't really have many answers, but she showed us this love note he had written right beneath their phone that, said, I do love you. And a voicemail he had left that just didn't even sound like him. And, um, we just, you know, my, my initial fears were like, Oh my gosh, my, my dad's going to go to jail. It was like financial issues. It was all of this, you know, very real fears, but not at all much understanding of what was happening. And, um, I fell asleep that night, just kind of clueless on what to even pray in that moment. It had been such a high and suddenly it seemed like it was coming to this screeching halt and there's just a lot of confusion, but we woke up, um, yeah, to my mom, just screaming the sheet of printer paper, like crackling in her hand. She's sprinting up the stairs, yelling for us to get in the car. We start speeding around town to all these places that my dad kind of frequented looking for him. And, um, I remember she shoved this sheet of paper into the back seat after I had just begged to, to see what was going on. And, um, I ironed it out and it, and it was a suicide letter that my mm-hmm. dad mailed that she had found, um, just then. And, now we were like madly hunting for this man before this man gave up and ended up at his office with a lot of noise and commotion and police officers. And, um, ultimately three officers walking through the door. Finally, while we were at his desk, kind of searching for clues of where he may be or what may be going on. And they, um, they said that they, they had found my, my dad's remains and, um, that was January 3rd of 2009.
0: And, and you death- just never suspected that. I mean, he was looking like he, cause you even talked about your relationship was mended and he looked like he was more together and doing well. Right. Yeah. It had been unique right
1: before then it had really been this like unique Christmas break kind of where I was so excited from the freshman year. He you know, on the surface was so excited, but then you could just see distance in his Mm -hmm. eyes as well. And I remember that, that actual Christmas we had driven around and he had just started sharing really deep things with me. And I think I kind of attribute it to like, Oh, I'm, I'm an adult now I'm in college. And maybe this is a new sort of page of friend of our friendship of, you know, seeing one another is obviously still father and daughter but kind of peers i mean he was just sharing really deep things and he just seemed um sedated i guess i mean he just okay. seemed he just seemed different and you know like you everyone would say hindsight's 2020 20. um but he was just struggling i could see a lot of sadness in my dad's eyes i remember He had called me into his bedroom at one point. I think I write about this in the book as well. And he played the radio broadcast of... Um, a 90 yard goal that I had scored that freshman year that had been on like sports center and been, I mean, no one had ever done it athletically right. in soccer. And so it was this amazing thing. And he had gotten his hands on like the radio recording of it. So I remember him playing it in his bedroom and I was like laughing and jumping up and down on the bed. And he was like smiling so big. And then I, I remember looking back at him at one point and just like a tear was rolling down his cheek, which hmm. was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a happy tear. It was like a, it was just, he was just sad. Um, and so it was just, it was just strange. And then, you know, before we know it, I'm staring at his body on a morgue table with a, with a bullet hole in his chest. And it was the most numbing, like, I don't know. I'm sure people listening know this anguish if they've encountered Unexpected loss or a, a circumstance in their story that never would have ever crossed their minds. You know, pr- up till that point, if I heard about suicide, my thoughts are like, "Oh my goodness, what's wrong with their family?" Right. You know, and now all of a sudden, it was a part of our story, and there was just a numbing that that occurred. I couldn't even get my head to sit still, much less wrap it around the reality of this. And you know, we. I had to go back to college two weeks later, you know, two weeks after, mm. after everything changing. And I was so wounded and I was so mad and I was so resentful and I was so numb. And it's just like, oh, you, you're, you can't even process, you really can't even process. And, um, and you really cope
0: by just putting kind of putting a mask on and acting like everything's fine right is that oh like i
1: always like we we always yeah i could have like won an academy award i headed back to school because ultimately my mom you know made it really clear that it's what my dad would have and would have wanted me to do you know and i had thought about staying home and just you know goodbye soccer goodbye college like help my family but she really wanted me to go back and i remember Going back to school, back on campus, I've just had this amazing freshman year. I'm this standout athlete all of a sudden on campus and um, on a huge campus, too. So it feels big. And I remember just putting it was like I just put on a mask and I resolved to fake fine. Mm -hmm. I wanted everyone to see that I was strong and that I was okay. You know, it's all the things we hope people will perceive about us, no matter what's actually going on inside. We hope that we'll be seen as capable and strong and, um, you Right. Know, and in the book you talk, and... yeah.
0: In the book you say like you, that chapter I think is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like that is how like you were oh. two people like looking exactly. just great. Cause weren't you even doing like excelling in sports broadcasting? I mean, just a lot of things that you were excelling in and looking like you had it all together.
1: Yes, on the surface. I mean, I just, it it was again, it's my performance thing. It's my competitor thing. I'm Mm -hmm. like, don't let anybody see that you're weak. Keep performing and perform well. Do it with excellence. And so it was like anything that could be my mask, whether it was my academics, whether it was excelling in the broadcast field, whether it was, you know, excelling on the soccer field, anything that I could perform well at whether that was the genuine nature of my heart or not, I put everything I had into it and um, made sure people didn't see that, like baby Mo was really hurt, (laughs) like Mm. actual Mo was really wounded. And so it was this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because ultimately you can't keep all that suppressed. You can't keep it all in. And so for me, I I started releasing that tension um, through what looked very common in college, but it was alcohol. It was drinking. It was partying. It was men. It was really seeking any sin-sized peace to fill the God-sized hole in my heart. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I didn't think God was good. I didn't think He was kind. This whole faith walk, this mountaintop, well, then maybe I had just kind of dreamed all this up. And, you know, it, it was just a very wounded and therefore really rebellious time in my spirit. And so it was a perform again, put on your mask and perform, but, um, really sinful season in, in behind closed doors and it looks normal in college. That's what's sad. And I look around and wonder how many are navigating through real, stuff as young adults and just masking it in the college experience.
0: And is that, that probably should, I mean, you're very, you're passionate about going to colleges and speaking. And, um, I assume that's why, cause you know, that story that you you lived is being played out there by so many yes. others.
1: It's just such a formative time. It's like, my heart just beats for the college age, young adult, you know, generation because it's such a formative time. And I, I, had everything, <laughs> goodness, everything that would have deformed me in that time sort of occur and, you know, started as a result, struggling with depression and anxiety. And like I mentioned, promiscuity and, um, just extremely, extremely painful things. Um, and this Formative time really, really was more of like a tornado disaster zone than it was some healthy whole experience. And so I just, my heart can't help but like beat with compassion for young people who, you know, college is kind of that first time that's really like, all right, you know, you're on your own, figure it out. And I'm like, oh, know that you're not on your own, that you don't have to be. Right. the Holy spirit, you know, I mean, I'll preach a whole sermon talking about who God longs to be in us in that season. But that's really what my, my ministry, it's that age group that um, my heart really beats for. Cause I, I know their pain.
0: And it's so, I mean, God, I don't know that you would have that same compassion and empathy for them. Had you not gone through it and walked some of that? Would you I agree?
1: I, I would completely agree. I don't think I would either. I mean, I think when we look at scripture, it's like, Jesus life and, you know, crucifixion and an ultimate rising. They're so profound because ultimately Jesus was fully man, fully God. And so he was God, yet he bound himself to the human condition. And, and that's real. That was, That's what we can relate to. It's not a God saying live in this godly, sinless fashion because I'm superior. So just do it. It's a God saying, I understand. I understand like you're the condition. I understand the limitations. I understand because I came and I, I lived it. And yet Jesus lived it without sin and and took the cross for us because we just can't, Mm. we can't do it. And it's like, it's that great compassion that I think at least for me draws me to who the person of Jesus is and the power of, of God's intervention in our lives in that capacity, because this is not what does scripture say. Like it's not a high priest that's unaware of your condition. Mm. It's like, it is it's compassion that ultimately, um, saves hearts. And so I I think it's, um, I don't love that there were those seasons in my life that were awful, but a lot of people ask like, Oh, if you could go back and change, what would you change? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I would like, right. why get lost in those thoughts? That's where a lot of people get stuck in grief. Oh, if only X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, all I have right now is the breath in my lungs in this present moment. And if anything, I can leverage this pain for compassion towards those who are hurting. I can understand just as Christ understands us.
0: Right. And that's just so part of his molding process of us and shaping it, shaping us, I think, are those experiences that have brought us to him and made us surrender. Um, You share, you did get to the point, which is the horrific suicide of your dad. put you into that depression and all these things we've talked about that you yourself started to become suicidal. Right. That you just thought, I can't, I'm done with this. That would be the easy way out.
1: You know, ultimately I just understood when my dad did what he did and I saw it as a viable option. Okay. It was like, it was this really getting to such a place of detachment and of brokenness and of suffering where you're like, I, I you could it. see it this yeah. could be easier to bail on, you know, this, sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. Forgive my language, but it, it's like, it was a, I, I think less a place of suicidal nature in which I was like plotting and planning of how, and, you know, writing letters as many people find themselves at that place. For me, it was more of the, you of could... the detached suicidal understanding of like, why not? You know, it was okay. just, it was just that hard place of, of this is painful and I don't want to hurt anymore. I'm yeah. just hurting. And that's just,
0: you saying that just makes me think of God. I mean, God gave you that a little bit of understanding for your own earthly father, you know, right. like for what he went through at the end of his life and how he got to that point. Okay. Um, but then you, you end um, the chapter that you talk about that. You say, little did I know that God was preparing to draw me closer to the death I sometimes desired in order to save the life he had planned for me. So this is the next kind of big, big turning point in your life um, where everything seemingly really falls apart, but it's what God ultimately uses just to bring you to him. Exactly. Yeah,
1: this was, this was, um, I mean, (laughs) messy and holy all at once. Mm -hmm. I, I, it had been about a year since my dad had passed and it was Thanksgiving break and I was where we just spoke of, I was, you know, suicidal and thought at times I was depressed. I was anxious. I was sick of faking fine. I was sick of wearing the mask. I didn't have much energy left in me. And I was headed home for Thanksgiving break from uh, Baton Rouge to Atlanta. And really just the cry of my heart that year had been like, God, if, if you're so real, you have to do something. Like you have to do something. You have to reveal yourself to me because I don't know what I believe. I certainly don't believe that you're good or that you're kind or, or this healer or redeemer or comforter, all these things I was hearing from, you know, people who were trying their best to pour my life. One of those to experience versus heeding the words sometimes of others. And, um, I was, you know, drive it on the interstate at like one in the morning. Cause I'd been stuck in traffic, just trying to get home and just zoned out. And really, I mean, earlier had made sure I was going to have my, you know, my booty call, like my, my hookup when I got home for break and just in the rhythm of like coping and dealing and sin. Mm-hmm. And, um, Suddenly headed down the interstate, I I couldn't have told you how. I couldn't have told you why. But the next thing I knew, my car was in the center median, and my wheel is just like cranking and jerking. And I, I'm like, snap out of it! What is going on? I tried to pull my my Jeep back across onto the interstate and just shot straight across, hit an embankment, flipped flipped it multiple times, and landed wrapped around a tree upside down. Um, on the roof, like is how it landed. Just the front of the jeep stripped clean off, mm-hmm. upside down at one thirty in the morning, completely, completely alone and completely broken. I I came to coughing up my own blood and had broken my neck and damaged ribs and lungs and liver and jaw and face and and some brain um, bruising. But I remember coming to and being. Overwhelmed in that moment. I mean, people hear the story and they're like, "Oh, good grief!" Another piece of ever. <laughs> it's like <sighs> I remember coming to overwhelmed in this state of complete, broken, complete helplessness. I mean, hardly see out of an eye, much less wrap my head around what was occurring. And it was like in this moment that should have been the most terrifying and the most chaotic. There was a complete calm. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit mm. that just entered into that wreckage. And I get goosebumps every time I talk about it because it's almost inexplicable in power and presence. And it was like a weight that was as crushing in, in magnitude as it was like soul resuscitating in mm. that moment. And I just had this encounter with the living God who said, be still and know that I am God. And it was I couldn't have told you the actual time on the clock, but there was a profound period of God just breathing his truth and his word and revelation into my heart like the realities of the gospel just downloaded into my spirit and this inter I I, I it's, it's real And basically God answered, he'll do anything to, to, he'll wreck our lives, to save our lives and to save our eternal story. And it was like this very powerful encounter with the King of all Kings who in the face of my filth met me and said, I love you. I love you. And he opened my eyes to the reality of what John sixteen thirty three talks about in this world. We will face trouble. We will face trouble. We will face hardship. It's actually a promise in scripture, but he follows it by saying, take heart have courage. I have overcome the world. And so it was really this challenge of like, are you going to continue to try to Lord your own life and, and put your broken pieces back together? Or will you stop and be still and trust me as the master artist, the one who knit you together, the one who's seen every day of your story, the one who has plans and purpose for you, will you yield and surrender Mm -hmm. and allow me to rebuild you into a new creation? And it was like, I mean, it was intense. It was like the gravity of my sin came to the fore. And
0: this was caught when you caught, you're caught in this wreckage, literally, and probably the closest to death that you'll ever be without, without dying. And that is when you're feeling all of this, the Lord's presence more than ever.
1: I am hanging upside down in a janky Jeep Liberty. It's like (laughs) the blood is rushing to my head, Wow. but I, I remember it was, you know, God doesn't have to sideline us on an interstate to encounter us. All it takes from the King of all Kings is a whisper Mm -hmm. for the scales to fall from our eyes and our, our ears to come into clear hearing and our mind to be renewed. It, it is an encounter with God that he is ready and willing and able to make it any moment. And it is, the, the 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 invitation of that, even if it's in desperation, God, you must reveal yourself to me like it is the beauty of him encountering us intimately and personally and in a real and powerful and tangible way that that can change everything in our lives and um yeah, I ended up I guess somehow on the roof of the car right shimmied out of my seatbelt at some point and saw my lights flicker and tried it was that he had seen and he ends up being a retired paramedic and in, in the navy. Wow. So I don't know who more perfect could have stumbled yeah. along my wreck. But um I told my mom, we spoke with her on the phone afterwards that you know, as he's shining the flashlight in the Jeep, he's like prepared to see a dead body. And I'm just laying on the ceiling, smiling, like overwhelmed. And he's, he said, all I kept repeating were, were three words that God is beautiful. God is beautiful, and he's like,
0: "That's oh, wow. great,"
1: but maybe you know, if we could, <laughs> if your neck looks broken, and I'm like, just concussed like, "No, oh, God is beautiful." Like, but he told my mom, it looked like I had seen the most overwhelming sight, and all I cared to do was tell anyone who would listen about it, wow. and, and all I've done since is tell anyone who would listen yeah. about it.
0: And that, I mean, hence the title of your book is that he used um, that wreck in your life to to make you a. A woman that just wants to tell everybody about Jesus because from then on you had a hard road. life was not easy for you, I mean you still wanted to be a college athlete and you had a lot of rehab um ahead of you, right? yeah, yeah, it's you
1: know I think we we buy in but like we place our faith in Jesus, and then life gets and, you know better and easier and you know blessed in this way or that way, and it's like. It's so far from the reality. The reality is that we will still walk through both the vine and of those valleys. And and it is the difference, the blessing that comes in life is not all going in our or wealth or, you know, comfort or any of these things. The blessing is knowing true intimacy with God, with a God who never leaves us, never fails us, never forsakes us, who is our protector and our comforter, our refiner, our teacher, our hope, our guide. It's like life has still been very real since then. It, it's not like you said, been all rain wise. But the difference I think we can see in ourselves and know the mark difference of of the Holy Spirit in us is when no matter what our circumstances hold, our our hope stays steadfast and our trust, you know, stays true. And um, it's like Romans 5, 3 through 5. it, It calls us to rejoice in our adversity because adversity produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope in the Holy Spirit never fails us. And so, um, and this was yeah, about.
0: It, this was kind of the first time in your life where you were able to do that and really know that, um, right? During one and of no the harder way. phases, yeah.
1: And beyond that, read in scripture, it talks about like being rooted on the sand or on a rock. That sand slips and slides, and and you know a storm. Comes and and you're, you're blown off your foundation. But if we can stand sure on the rock of our salvation, it's like no matter what storm comes, no matter what trial comes, no matter what, especially I would say God asks us to give up or surrender or turn away from or repent of, it's like the, the living this out, no matter what, we are not shaken from the rock of our salvation. And so the... What changed, I think, primarily for me was I understood, oh, God, like you just had to dismantle me in order to open my eyes, find to who you were. And God, it is so good. It is such glory, albeit hard, albeit painful. Like, please, God, search my heart, whatever else you need to dismantle in my life, please do it. And, and I think that's when our lives really become that like surrender to not just knowing about Jesus, but making Jesus Lord. Like I want my life to honor you. I want it to be aligned with you. And so point out whatever it is in me that you want to work on. And I believe you're, you've begun a good work that you're going to bring to completion. And that's where our faith walk becomes our lifetime journey that he's continuing to refine us.
0: And you're really in the final chapters of your book where you take um talk about after the accident. I mean, you have so many examples of that in your life and we don't have time to get into those, but just um the rest of your college path, you know, you thought you were gonna be a broadcaster, you thought the Lord wanted you to try out. You did try out for the football team. And so you went through all that. You thought you were gonna make it. And none of these things happened. But right. you still walked with the Lord and were trusting in his plan. Um and one of the other things when you were talking about Lord the Lord answer are asking you to surrender things, um, you talk about just um not kissing, not kissing a boy or the sexuality, all of those things that God was asking you to surrender, um, to that plays a part of your story. And that kind of goes into more of your second book, which we don't have, obviously have time to get into, but, um, your second book, the sex Jesus and the conversation, the church forgot. I mean, it is just, I've recommended it to so many people and moms and friends that deal with youth, because I think that is one of the, I mean, that played a huge part in your life of having to surrender that part of your life. Right.
1: Exactly, exactly. It was the, I mean, my whole walk with Jesus since encountering him has really been like they like said, Contin- continue to wreck me, wreck whatever to be, in me so that I can look more like you. And so, you no, know, no, walk in your truth and honor you more. And I realized, I, I think one of the first things that God drew up before my eyes much like he does with the Samaritan woman at the well it was like he encounters her and one of the first things he does is drum up her sexual sin and and that was i think it's i think he does frequently for many of us because it is something that profoundly affects our identity and our temple and our you know worth and our our and others like how we're <laughs> affecting them and So it was one of the first things that God really began to stir up and help me realize and, and begin to dismantle and, and, and wreck my life. Talk about the intimacy fast that he drew me into, um, or invited me into, I I guess I had to agree, but I I said, yes. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was stepping back and saying, you know what, the word of God, I'm going to believe it black and white is the living, breathing, true, never changing word. And it says here to love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, this word all must become non-negotiable. And so God, what does it mean right now for me in this season to love you with all of myself? And he was like, he, he pointed out in me the ways that I really had a very adulterous heart. Mm -hmm. It was like, I wanted to, I wanted to say I knew and loved God, but like, then when I didn't feel very valuable, I wanted the affirmation of man. Like, and I wanted to say intimacy with God, but then when I really wanted to feel intimacy, I turned to guys. And so it was like, just pointed that out in me. And, um, aspirate under it. And so I did, I, to a season and on treating anybody else. Like I would treat them if I was in a monogamous relationship. So no dating, no physicality, no flirting, you know, no teasing. And, um, it was the most incredible. I, I called it kissless till next Christmas, which I thought was brilliant at the time, it was <laughs> a catchy. but it ended up going on that real time with God was hard at first, and then you catch your stride and then you're amazed that you're still going. And then you're in awe of how content and whole and healed you are becoming. And it was just a really beautiful season. And, um, yeah, I write about that too, through, through sex, Jesus and the conversations the church forgot, but it was profound for my life as not just a woman figuring out sex and sexuality, but like a woman knowing who she was who she is in Christ and who she was always created to be. Yeah. And
0: that's what I love about that book. It's not just a book for teenagers, like don't have sex till you're married. I mean, it goes so much deeper into all those layers of it. Um, And like we said, you've got two books, So Wreck My Life and Sex Jesus and The Conversation the Church Forgot. And we'll put links to both of those on the show notes. Um, So I'd love to keep talking to you, but I know we've we've got to wrap up here. Um, There's so much more. I mean, I appreciate you just, just pouring your heart out and just um, ministering to others who have, who are walking this journey right now. Um, all of our stories look different, but I mean, Jesus, Jesus takes us and gets us back to him um, if we let him. So I just thank you for sharing so much of your heart with us. Of course, of can course, you, we will list it all on the show notes, but tell me where you can be found as far as, um, website, Instagram. I know you do a lot of speaking engagements, all of those things. Yeah. So I would say Instagram is the easiest
1: place to find me. I love, um, jumping on there and encouraging people and, um, posting words that God gives me. And, um, share a lot about myself through there. So Instagram at Mo Isom, super simple, but also um yeah, I have the website moisome Okay. And that is where people can read blogs and watch videos and um as well as where where contact form for speaking is. I travel all over the country um speaking and, and it's my greatest one of my greatest delights. And so MoISOM or Instagram at Mo um there's lots of great videos on
0: YouTube and um where else it's okay. like where else does yeah there I there think, is I think when you go to, when you, I, know, I think when you go to your website it kind of points you in all those things so um, okay. folks will definitely be able to find you and I just I look forward to hopefully getting to see you speak um, in person one day with my daughter. I would love to to bring her because you just um, share such such words words of wisdom that point people back to Jesus. So thank you again Mo. It is my privilege. thanks so much for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Mo and I hope you did too. You can find the links to purchase her books on the show notes for episode number 32 at HerStorySpeaks.com. You'll also find links to Mo's website where she offers some great free resources and an online curriculum to dive deeper into the subject of sex, Jesus, and the conversation the church forgot. I've read this book with my teenage daughter and I can't recommend it enough to parents and those in youth or college ministry. Thanks for listening today and as always, If you like the show, please share it with a friend and leave a review on iTunes so others can more easily find it.